Markeith Morris is as close to joining the Brooklyn Nets. No longer a dedicated ver- addition to the Heat, I guess. Plus, is the NBA disrespecting its best players by not focusing on Euroball more? And why veterans matter? All this and more on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily Denver, not Denver, NBA podcast from the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The reason I mentioned the Nuggets is I'm Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host over at Locked On Nuggets. I've also got COVID brain, so you're going to have to hang with me there. <laughs> Joining me is David Ramil from Locked On Heat. You can follow him on Twitter at DRamil13. David, how is this long offseason treating you? Oh, it's great. I've also got COVID brain, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, we're we're doing fantastic here on this show. It's a good thing it's all not a problem at all, and we've all kind of swept it under the collective rug. And everything's back to normal. Yay. Much like the Brooklyn Nets, we're just moving on and pretending like everything <laughs> is totally fine. Uh, on today's episode, we will talk about the importance of veterans and why Chris Paul is caping for the Heat's edition of Udonis Haslam. We'll talk about how the NBA seems to focus more on amateur open runs in the summer than it does on actual structured competition featuring some of its best players. But we start today with a discussion about Markeith Morris. A year after joining the Miami Heat and losing most of the season to whiplash after Nikola Jokic, uh, I'll go ahead and say it, cheap shot at him in the back after Markeith Morris cheap shot at him. Uh, yeah, and and, and one, one was significantly worse than the other. Uh, Morris never really fully got back into the rotation in Miami. And now Mark Stein reports that the Nets are in advanced discussions to add Morris. There's a couple of, I think, ramifications from this. One, you know, kind of sneaky. The Nets have added some pieces. They get packed, Patty Mills. They make some, some offseason additions. Adding Morris gives them another power forward, gives them maybe another option in case they don't want to go to Paul Millsap. Blake Griffin, I think, is, is on the on the outs now. That makes, seems clear, pretty clear with Morris being out. Uh, for the Heat, actually, that was my first question because when we were at Summer League, you and I went to a locked-on lunch, and I asked you and your, and your podcast partner over at Locked On Heat, Wes, I asked him, hey, so... What, what exactly are the Heat going to do for a power forward? Like, who's starting? And y- y'all said, no one, but maybe <laughs> Markeith Morris, if it gets to that. Like, probably Morris comes back. Yeah. Uh, I- I'll-, I'll start with you. Since you're the-, the host of Locked on Heat, I'll ask you this, David. Is losing Morris going to be a significant loss for the Miami Heat, even though he missed most of last year? It's impossible to say. Like um, the question about who starts at power forward for Miami, that's a big one, obviously. But uh, you know, there there are some options on the table there on that roster currently. Now there's still a month before training camp, so potentially they address it with a trade. I'm not sure if that's likely or not. Uh, I don't think it represents a significant loss. Certainly not to the same extent of losing PJ Tucker. Like that was their starter, and you right. got so little production out of Markeith that it's hard to gauge exactly what he would have brought to the table. I think had he re-signed with Miami, then it's clear he would have been a starter just because he's the best option there, like an experienced player and you know someone 
capable of stretching the, uh, you know, there's the veteran experience. I think that plays a part into how Eric Spolstra views who the best option is. It's not to say that he would have kept that job throughout the whole regular season and that maybe come playoff time, those rotations probably would have changed to some degree. But if he had been with Miami, he would likely would have been the starter. It's not a significant loss just because, well, he, he didn't play a whole hell of a lot last year. Uh, there were there was the idea that he'd come back a lot sooner. We spoke to a doctor in Locked On Heat that kind of addressed the situation that you know really clearly indicated that uh, there could be potential, if not life threatening, you know, just really uh, challenging for overall health issues had he returned too quickly. So I know that Miami was being cautious. Something that they've been, uh, well, they haven't been accused of that in the past. Let's just say they've rushed other players back from injury a little too quickly, so they erred on the side of caution here. I think that kind of rubbed Morris the wrong way. Not that it takes much to rub Morris the wrong way, perhaps, but he he wanted to come back sooner. He wanted to play. He thought he was going to be more of a contributor early on. So maybe there's something left for him to prove, and that's what he's bringing to the table when it comes to, you know, he's not going to start, obviously, because you've got that right. Kevin Durant guy who's pretty good now, and he's committed, he's back, and he's going to be better than ever, and they're going to be uh, everything's hunky-dory in Brooklyn. But he, he's... He's a, he's an okay player. Like I mean, he's not his brother, but he he still can chip in. He can still you know stretch the floor with an 18, 20 footer on occasion. He could shoot to three, although not at a high level. He does have championship experience too, having won a title with the Lakers. I think there's a lot to like there. Just I'm not sure exactly how healthy he'll be and how much role he'll actually have in Brooklyn. Gonna be real here, um, and this is absolutely nothing to do with the Jokic thing. Like I had this position before the Jokic thing happened. Yeah. I'm not a Nuggets fan. I just happened to cover the team. Uh, I think either Morris brother is negative. I'll just go ahead and just put that out there. Uh, they invite drama. They their checks their mouths write a lot of checks that they they're playfully cash. I think having Kyrie Irving and a Morris brother on the same team is a disastrous concept. Let's mm. let, like calmer influences, maybe rather than more instability. Don't think the, the Nets aren't a team that I look at and go, you know what they really need? They need a little bit of tension, a little bit of spice. You want to spice up that? No, no. Let's try and be a normal basketball team. And if I'm like, how do I build a, a normal basketball team? A Morris twin is not the path there. That's that's not what I'm on. So not crazy about the signing. But look, I think it, in terms of positional, if you talk about it just from a basketball standpoint, makes a lot of sense, right? They're basically continuing their path of let's have multi-position forwards as much as we can because they had TJ Warren on a one-year deal, which is a really good deal that they got. And now they got Markeith Morris a little bit interchangeable there just in terms of spaces the floor a little bit, physical, multi-position, can play three or four will play a little bit of small ball five if they need him to. They've wanted to play. This has been a weird thing. They just seem very averse to centers. <laughs> like, they re-signed Claxton, who's very good. And Claxton's, like, a very good small ball five option. But they don't really have, like, a traditional center. They had DeAndre Jordan, and that was such a disaster that they haven't really gone back the other direction. Um, we'll see if they give LaMarcus Aldridge another shot or, or, or what. But I don't hate the idea of playing Morris as a small ball five. It's not the worst concept in the I just world. I don't know that he's even better than Paul Millsap. But I mean, you're, when right. you're taking the the whole locker room presence, like no one's questioned Millsap uh, over the course of his career. Like right. that guy, he just works. I mean, I know you covered him in Denver. I've always been a big fan of his. Yep. His dedication to just continuing to improve or chip in. Like maybe his body's not what it once was, and he's breaking down to some in some degree, and he cannot play at the high level that we did once see him play at. But as far as a locker room guy. 
I, I think he's pretty unimpeachable, right? At least I haven't yeah. heard anything about him being a negative presence at any point. Right. But I also think that uh, some of this has just to do with Morris seems very much like a guy that Kyrie and KD would want that just fits in with kind of their mold of guys. So I kind of wonder if this was maybe uh, they got KD back and we're like, hey, who else do you want? And KD was like, you know, you should go get is, is, is Markeith Morris. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, that may just be, that may just be because that may just be because basically I assume that um, any bad signing that the Nets make I'm I'm always going to kind of point to Kyrie and KD. Uh, all right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a, a great game happened this, last week, and it kind of went under the radar as far as the NBA goes. I want to talk about why that is and if it matters at all. We'll do that when we come back on Locked On NBA. But first. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction time slow way down when you're high. Often danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. It's a message from the NHTSA. We'll be right back on Locked on NBA. Lock on NBA. Thanks for joining us, making us your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can catch a, a video version of the show. Back here with David Ramil. David, so last week, there was a pretty amazing game that, that happened between the Serbian national team featuring two-time running MVP Nikola Jokic and Greece with the previous two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. These are two players that are arguably amongst the, if you want to say that there are three to four of the guys that qualify as the best players in the world, those are two guys that qualify on any given night, at least as far as NBA regular season basketball goes. Um, playoffs, I think, are pretty arguable as well, but we can leave, even leave that aside. These are pretty marquee matchup. This is a FIBA qualifying match, so it actually had some stakes on the line. It wasn't just a friendly uh, goes to overtime in that course of, of going to force overtime. Nikola Jokic hits a fadeaway three-point Sambor shuffle, his patented step-back fadeaway. Uh, incredible shot, amazing game, great atmosphere. And because the NBA doesn't have a stronger relationship with FIBA, and because the NBA doesn't have like a partnership deal for a lot of these things, I get less notifications from the NBA about this event which they misqualified, by the way, is Eurobasket, which Eurobasket doesn't start until Friday, uh, than I do about, guess who's at Drew League tonight? Guess who's at the crossover? And it's not that I don't think the programs are fun, because I think they are. I think they're fun. I think they're an important part of, of basketball culture, like the Rucker runs, and even like the, just the non-televised UCLA runs. Like The summer runs are an important part of basketball culture and therefore an important part of NBA culture. But I do kind of wonder... If on some level we're missing out on meaningful basketball being played in the summer that really isn't being televised, 
And if this is a continuing trend of the NBA failing to, like, they've done a lot to push an international global audience. They've tried, you know, they've built a lot to branching out to China um, and made all these kind of efforts in, even in Central Asia in terms of uh, India. Yes. And they've, they've grown their presence in a lot of countries. Yep. But yet, because they can't really find a way to, to get this, and... The other thing I will say, is, and we can get to talk about this in another second, is all of this additionally makes me nervous. There's a lot of guys that are going to be playing in Eurobasket in September and then having to basically go from playing in Eurobasket until around September 15th, getting on a plane, and then being a training camp, and then the season starts. And that makes me a little bit nervous. But first, I want to ask you, uh, with as much as the NBA has pushed these summer runs and like basketball is 24-7 and look at all this basketball going on in the offseason – Given how important international players have become to the landscape of the NBA with Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Luka Doncic, obviously, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, does the NBA need maybe to also be showcasing these international competitions or to, to you is it understandable that, no, it's still international basketball, it's a different deal? Absolutely not. I, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, the, the NBA wants to promote itself as the brand, the best brand of basketball, right? But that doesn't exclude them from drawing in these international audiences. Having said that, they should be trying to showcase good basketball at every level, whether it's the WNBA, whether it's college basketball and improved partnerships there and op improved opportunities for amateur athletes to perhaps collect a little bit of money on the side. And especially when it comes to European basketball, like it's okay to partner with the you know, International Olympic Committee when your NBA players are being represented or representing the United States or other countries as well. Why not showcase your best NBA players when they're representing their own countries? Like that's, I mean, when you're talking about the exciting level of these games, the stakes involved, and not just that, but the fact that two of your best five players are representing their respective countries in the in, in this tournament like why wouldn't you want to show that like there's i'm not sure i'm sure that there's television deal that precludes them from showing this i'm not sure if you would have to show this to the nba channel I, I, honestly i have not dug into it myself partly because like many nba fans uh, i feel like if there isn't this incredible level of easy access that i can just find yeah. through flipping through the channels I'm not going to dig into it because maybe I don't even know that it exists or maybe I'm not even that all that interested in it. And I think that's the problem is like if it was there, if it was readily available, I'd be much more inclined to watch it. And I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, you, you want to be able to see these games. Nobody can follow what the Olympic you know schedule is because sometimes you have the United States facing off against China at three o'clock in the morning. But you know what? You, you you tune in to watch it. Why? Because you recognize those names and those players. Well, I think you would do the same thing with any kind of European feeble related basketball. Like you'd see these games. You know, you want to promote the basketball league in, in, in Africa, show, showcase those games. You yeah. know, there's a there's a, a player right now playing for you know Qatar or something like that that's going to be representing uh, their country in the NBA at some point or Cameroon. And we've seen these players be able to take this leap before. You've got to do a better job of showcasing showcasing this level of talent across the planet because it is an international game. There's no turning back. You help build it uh, to some degree with the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. You want to continue to build it and showcase good level basketball, and this certainly qualifies. Yeah, and for me, it's the fact that there's stakes in it, and there's national pride, yeah. and it showcases, and it continues to showcase these players. And Jokic has been amazing in it, and Giannis in the sequence sure. game dropped like sixty, like 
and they're going to dominate these competitions and that's that's part of it and like look i am of the idea i am supportive of the concept because i do think there is a difference here I think there are people that are super fans of basketball, and I think there are people that are super fans of the NBA. And the NBA has honestly become such a... Not such a... It's become a slightly hyper-specialized sport. And that, like, the way that the NBA is played is a little bit different from all other forms of basketball. I think it's honestly one of the reasons why the whole real hooper thing exists. Mm. Where there's dudes that can walk on any court anywhere in the world in a pickup game and dominate because they're real hoopers that don't necessarily dominate the NBA because the NBA is a very structured, very different game. And it's okay if you're a fan of that. But for me, it's a matter of why am I getting so much push on the summer runs relative to these other competitions? If it's both, both and I like that more basketball, like, let's just, you know, let's, let, I like the idea of, of, of pushing the idea basketball never stops right and this has been a summer where it really feels like the players have embraced playing right that they haven't been so exhausted that they're just like i just want to you know chill and vacation and take a break they got rest and it seems like everybody's had like the fact that lebron's in these runs and demar derozan's in these runs and so many guys seem to be doing this and then Eurobasket, we're seeing a lot of guys playing like lucas right. playing Jokic is playing uh Giannis is playing and to me, that's relevant that these guys are all invested on that level. Mark Cuban, a lot of, many years ago, had kind of really pushed for the NBA to take a, a stronger voice in the FIBA conversations to try and dictate some of this because, you know, his concern was trying to keep Dirk from running himself into the ground. And I do think that there's right. some of that. Like, I, I don't understand why the NBA is not reaching out to FIBA and being like, Hey, so can we our season starts at like the end of September? Can we maybe do this in like August first when we don't have anything going on a month after free agency rather than right. oh three weeks before our, our training camp starts because that'd be better for us. you know having those kind of conversations. But then also like this gets into the money side of it. This is just continues to be the overriding problem with so many things. The NBA is everyone's making so much money, just an absurd mm -hmm. amount of money. Especially even compared to like 15 years ago. Everyone that's involved in the league is making so much more money. And yet there's no consideration of like, okay, now that we've really gotten ourselves in a good place, how can we improve things? No one seems to be asking that question. They're just like, well, don't, no, nothing stops the money train. And that continues to be the conversation. Could this be on the FEMA side of things? Would it, would they be less inclined to include the NBA as a marketing partner because the NBA represents like this lure that takes away their best players, that takes away you know their Jokic's and their other Dekumpos and things of that sort that maybe they don't want to necessarily work with the NBA as closely? I've never really heard of that. I think it's more a matter of just uh, everyone kind of does their own thing, right? And everyone has got their own mm -hmm. business partners. I've never really gotten the sense from talking to anybody. There's, I mean, there's tension in terms of everybody wants control over their own thing. I think FIBA is more concerned about the, about the NBA running things because if you work for FIBA, you would like to keep your job and you want to keep your autonomy. Um, to me, that seems to be a, a broader conversation. But I think there's probably something there for to explore and it'll be important to see how the conversation evolves. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about... Well, Chris Paul, you clued me into... Chris Paul had some really interesting comments about one Udonis Haslam, and I want to get your thoughts on that when we come back on Locked on NBA.
back here on Locked On NBA. Thanks for making us your first listen each and every day. Make sure to check out the podcast five days a week here on the podcast network. Uh, would love to get your, you know, you can get uh, Jake Madison and John Corrales are on tomorrow. Make sure to check in. It's a great show. Love listening to those two. Uh, you got Adam Mares and Wes Goldberg on Fridays. So many good shows throughout the week here on Locked On NBA. So you clue me in on this, David, that Chris Paul had some comments at his basketball camp. And they asked him about Udonis Haslam coming back for a 20th season with the Miami Heat. Uh, with the upfront caveat that you're going to be biased because you cover Miami on Locked on Heat. And I'm going to be biased because uh, I love those mid-2000s Heat teams. And Udonis was like right in there. And so I like... I'm old enough to remember when Udonis Haslam was a basketball player, was actually a good <laughs> NBA player. And so I'm going to be a little bit biased as well. But I thought that Chris's comments were really interesting. He talked about, um, y'all heard everybody talking crazy about him, meaning Udonis. Why is he on the team? Why is he on the team? Man, I'm probably his biggest fan. You want to know why? Because young guys need vets. You need somebody like UD Haslam showing up every day at practice at 11, and he's probably in the gym 8, 8.30 every day to motivate guys to push guys. Um, really good comments from Chris Paul, and it leads to the question, and you actually brought up a really interesting sidebar on this, which was why we see fewer of these contracts, because these did used to be pretty standard, that guys used to have a presence. I want to kind of get your thoughts on Chris's comments about it and about veterans in general and the shifting nature of it, and then I've got some thoughts that um, I want to get to as far as examples I've seen of what Chris is talking about. What was your reaction when you read those comments from Chris? Do you feel like he gets it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, not just as you know, a, a former president of the Players Association and everything else, the, an understanding of how important it is. And, and a recognition that we've heard from various players that I personally have talked to from various players about the changing landscape across the NBA, where that last, that last seat on the bench used to have been and traditionally was reserved for a veteran uh, that might not be getting that much playing time, a la Udonis Haslam that still earn their spot on that roster by virtue of that kind of playing experience, not just on the court, but also experience and understanding of life off the court, because you need that kind of veteran leadership. Like there is so much, there are so many influences on an NBA player uh, and to spend their time, how to spend their money, how to focus, how to get to that next level, how to, how to understand the business of basketball. And that's a lot of that leadership comes from having a guy that you could sit next to on a team plane that you can understand or, or go to team dinners with and, and just kind of pick their brain and understand what it is that they went through and you look at a guy like you 20 years there are guys in the league that weren't born when Udonis Haslam signed with the Miami Heat and you can mock the decision for the Miami Heat to bring him back but I mean I've seen it like I, I know Udonis he is still in phenomenal shape he still practices and everybody says, well, why don't you just become a coach? Because players will tell you, everybody will tell you, wearing a whistle around the neck takes away the strength of your voice. It removes your ability to influence those players and, and to be able to work with them, to go through the same drills, to continue sprinting with them, to get on the five-on-fives and everything else. Like, that matters to a young 20 years old. Let's say you just got drafted. And you see a Udonis Haslam at 41, almost 42 years old, still working, still grinding, that's important. Uh, and, and I'm glad that a guy like Paul was able to recognize and say that, uh, that those veterans matter. And, and to your point about the sidebar that I mentioned, like the, that landscape 
has changed so much because now you have these two-way contracts where you've got you have the option from a team perspective. Let's say you're just trying to fight to get under the salary cap, and you're 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 thousand away from going over. Well, you could sign a Udonis or a Marquise Morris or a Paul Millsap or someone like that, and those veteran million dollars, or you can sign a guy that maybe has some potential, maybe might never work out, and you give him a two-way contract that's going to be for, what, less than $100,000? Well, you do the math. Like, it's a lot easier to make that decision. And, yeah, you can bank it, you can sell it, you can package it and say, well, we want to bring the guy that's 20 and has potential because you never know what happens. That's BS. Like, Miami is an absolute aberration in the fact that you can see two-way guys turning uh, their experiences in Miami into lucrative contracts. And part of that is because of Udonis Haslam. That's what makes it even more of an aberration. As you're forcing these guys out, he's the one that's responsible for helping those players develop more than anything else. By teaching them, you want to get paid, and everybody in the NBA wants to get paid, then you better work, and this is how you do it. He's taught them off the court how to become NBA players. And so as you're phasing these guys out, uh, you're, you're not going to see that kind of influence around the league. And you're going to see, I think, watered-down versions of NBA rosters, and that's a damn shame. It's all really well said. Um, I, I, I wish there was. A, I think expanding the the rosters is probably a, a good solution yes. here, or providing there's already the veteran minimum. If there was, which is you know an exception to the cap, but if there was a a, a way to get more guys in Udonis's spot, like an incentive yep. to keep those guys, the MBPA is going to support it because they want to support those guys and those. You know, I, I like getting young guys opportunities, but sure. At the same time, like what you're talking about. This is one of the things I miss from being in locker rooms because we haven't been in a locker room since since COVID. Oh yeah, and you get such a sense of just being in there and talking to guys casually about whose voice carries and who's really helpful in those times of difficulty, whether it's a player individually or personally or a team in the course of a season. To keep reminding them, like never too high, never too low. We got to work every day. A lot of this is about basic stuff of just how to be a professional. And it's about helping these guys, the young young kids, keep out of trouble. Um, and it's I'm not talking off-court issues. I'm talking silly stuff like, hey, you're steamed because you lost this game. Don't talk to the media tonight. You're only going to get fined or cause like a big thing. Like you're going to spit something off. Or talking to, you know, if, if, a, if a guy says something about a teammate that's critical, like, the veterans are the ones that will usually put, pull them aside and straighten them out on these type of things. And, like, don't get me wrong. Love the content. Keep the content coming as far as as I go as, as, a, as a media member. But I do think so many of these I, – I, I remember stories about, like, Kwame Brown throwing yeah. suits away, right? And, like, these little things. And the league's a lot different in terms of getting players help than it used to be, which is a, a really good thing. But there is, to me, still kind of this value of – having guys around that are just there if guys have questions like i think a lot about what it must be like when you're 18 and you sign this contract for eight million dollars a year and you're expected to be you know like the guy on a professional basketball team that thousands of people are watching every night and millions of people are watching on a weekly basis like it's it's just an incredible just from a navigating that world and the day-to-day life those kind awesome. of things. And then on top of it, from a team perspective, you, when those guys say, hey, get your heads out of your 
backsides, it mm-hmm. carries. Like they carry respect. Oh, yeah. when, when it and what gets lost on Twitter and on the online conversation is that we because we only consume the games in terms of how good guys are, how good teams are. We think that that's the entire ecosystem. You run into this with talking about front offices too, where I was in Vegas and I was talking to somebody about how like his team is bad. His team's going to be bad, going to be bad many years in a row. But he's also like, I like working there. And versus a lot of the other teams I've worked for, it's a right. good environment and there's right. professionalism and clear communication. And, and I talked to other people that work for the organization and they said the same thing. And that matters. You can win games and be a terrible organization <laughs> and you can lose a lot of games and be a great one. Um, but part of it is about setting your guys up for the best success. And from a fan perspective, the reason you should care is that these veterans oftentimes I think help provide those young guys with the best opportunity Um to make the most of their careers, to keep yep. them in the best situation possible, to help be what that team needs to keep their direct, like those lessons do carry forward and they will remember them going forward. And that's why I never had any sort of issue with the heat given. I don't think it's a joke at all. I think it's really cool that the hat that the heat gave Haslam a uh, 20th season. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, you can't measure that value, uh, and, and there are just so many different factors as you, you specified there. Like all of those different conversations that a player has there, they there has to be some way during the next collective bargaining agreement for the players' association to say that there's got to be a rule for like a ten plus year player at the end of the bench. Like you just carve out the money. The owners, governors, whatever you want to call them, they've got the money. They've got the right. money. They can afford to do it. They they, they wave and stretch players casually. But if it's going to improve your team, it's gonna improve your culture. And I know that culture has become, you know, it's become attached to Miami Heat basketball because it's a great marketing tool and everything else like that. But you know what? There's a stability in that organization that whether you're there for a day or 20 years since, uh, you know, that they, they know what they're doing. They know how to approach it. And a big part of that is the kind of family environment that they have there. The fact that you have a guy like Haslam for two decades, two decades of basketball. I mean, with one organization, I mean, so few teams. What is it? Him, Dirk, and Kobe as the only players to be able, uh, and, 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 you know, very different from all those organizations that they've only had two coaches during the entire span of Udonis's career. I mean, Stan Van Gundy also for a brief time there. But you know what? Two and a half coaches, let's say. Right. Uh, it's a lot of ability, and, and, and it really helps to be able to to kind of just continue to help develop young players because as you said i mean really well said you know to be 18 19 like i had no idea what the hell i was doing at 18 or 19. like most of most 18 19 year olds in this country if you're lucky get to just focus on your collegiate career and honestly how many of you can just focus on going to class and not focus on doing everything else that comes attached to that but imagine if you're not going to class and imagine if you have to spend all your time being told what to do, how to do it, uh, how to focus on everything else. I mean, and also have a billion eyes watching you on a nightly basis to make sure that you can put that ball in the hoop. It's you kind of need a veteran to help you and say, you know what, shake it off. You had a bad game. Let's focus on the next one. Let's get you to that next level. Let's help you. Let's keep you, this ship, you know, in the right way. Anyway, that's my two cents. Well, hey, it's not like the Heat have anything to show for it. They've only been in six finals out of 20 years or a third of them, you know. 
that's that's nothing. I guess. R- really is impressive what the Heat have done. All right, let's go wrap it up for Locked on NBA. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you guys again next week with another edition as we get closer and closer to training camp. Make sure to check out the feed every single day. Make sure to hit us with those five-star reviews. Really appreciate those on Apple Podcasts. Give us the follows on Spotify. And check us out on YouTube. Give us those likes. Smash that like button over at youtube.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thanks for joining us, everybody. For David Ramil at DRamil13, I'm Matt Moore. We'll see you guys again next week on LockedOnNBA.